And welcome back to the Citizen Forge podcast. This is podcast number three. And today we're going to talk about uh, what I call liberal progressive strategy. Uh, so just a reminder that the Citizen Forge pro- excuse me, podcast is a subsidiary to the CitizenForgeProject.com. I'm your host, retired Colonel Brandon Yeager, author of the Citizen Forge. And I'm founder and president of the Citizen Forge Project, which you can find at the CitizenForgeProject.com. Uh, This is an organization that I've established to coalesce an information campaign that describes uh, how and why our nation is eroding toward failure and what might be done about it. It calls upon history and compares and creates a model. If you've listened to versions one and two, you've already gotten what I call the Citizen Forge lens, which I use throughout my talks. And you've already gotten a talk about the nature of truth. Uh, So all of these are, are aimed at elaborating upon many of the concepts in my book. I don't talk about uh, all the entirety of my book, of course, but that's what we're going to do here. So please bear in mind that the comments I make and opinions I express are entirely my own as always, and they do not necessarily reflect the opinions or stance of any institution with which I've ever been affiliated, military education or otherwise. All right, so let's move into this notion today of the liberal progressive strategy. Now, I know when I say liberal progressive, and if you read my book, you'll perceive this as well, many of you begin to think immediately of the political realm. There's no question that there's some overlap when it comes to talking about liberal progressivism. Uh, We probably should start with a couple of quick definitions, uh, at least simple definitions that will serve our podcast. So I consider the political realm in, in our society today in the United States Uh, made up primarily of the Democrat and Republican parties. There is also a Libertarian Party, which is a legitimate party as well. And there are a few other parties that are out there. But for the most part, uh, most folks seem to break down along the Republican and Democrat lines. I would call that our political point of view. Now, there's something that I call a worldview spectrum as well. And it runs from what I would call traditionalism through something called conservatism, then to liberalism, and then finally to liberal progressivism. And I discussed this briefly uh, in the first episode, but I just wanted to remind you that uh, liberalism is sort of that place where I think most humans uh, uh, will evolve without additional pressure or without some sort of additional forge that moves them forward. Remember that in my model, a certain amount of liberalism within a society is actually very healthy. Uh, I think so. And I think you don't reach your golden age for the society until you moderate your conservatism or initial traditionalism with a little bit of that liberalism that allows uh, the nation to pursue a few things that are uh, perhaps more selfishly minded, but but uh, in Adam Smith invisible hand fashion end up lifting other people as well. The problem, of course, with liberalism is that it very quickly becomes what I would call liberal progressivism. Some people call this leftism, that is to say, uh, kind of a radical liberalism, if you will. And this is inevitable within society. So this talk will talk about liberal progressive strategy. And again, I realize that the Democrat Party in today's world has embraced that strategy, but that was not always the case. And so it is not my aim to deliberately criticize the Democrat Party, although by corollary, I sort of end up doing that. But if you will, try to focus uh, on the worldview issue, this notion of liberal uh, progressivism. So to hearken back to our model, again, we don't have it in front of us, we're talking about it, but uh, remember that that uh, strata that I drew from left to right, 
and there were several of them we stacked on top of one another, right? We had uh, the individual or the self, and remember that that it always provides pressure for humans to move towards satisfying selfish needs. We all have that, every human has it. On top of that are, st are stacked additional spectra to which we connect uh, depending upon how our lives go and, and what's important to us. So humans are designed to connect to the social spectrum. That's why we're social animals. And that social spectrum uh, provides pressure for us to be selfless in order to earn membership uh, within a tribe, a group, or village, whatever it is. Uh, when we want to earn that, we have to exhibit a certain amount of selfless behavior. And remember that selfless behavior uh, under the human condition is always defined as good behavior and selfish behavior has always been uh, uh, what we would call evil behavior. Uh, so those two notions are actually linked to our own survival patterns. So liberal progressivism in my book means uh, folks who have become uh, increasingly disconnected from the societal spectrum. That doesn't mean they've been disconnected from all spectra. They may have family, neighborhood, and other pieces, but overall from their nation, from their society, the larger piece, they are disconnected from that. They don't see that perspective. And so uh, even more than liberalism, they tend to judge all behaviors without that specter in play. And they, don't, they do not enjoy the additional pressure that pulls them in a selfless direction. Again, it doesn't mean that they're not capable of being selfless, especially in an, in an individual to individual context, but they're not considering the survival of their nation uh, although they may love what their nation provides them, they do not love their nation. And this leads them to uh, decisions and, and the desire to remove uh, various constraints upon them. Um, and that's why liberal progressivism is, is where uh, most nations end up who have, who have successfully overcome uh, the shared adversity dilemmas that they face, food, shelter, uh, warring nations, uh, uh, hunting animals around them, whatever those may be, they've overcome those. And once they move to that point and they begin to resolve uh, the, the, and, and take care of the personal needs of their, of their group, they move through the 200 years to 250 year cycle. And eventually they erode into what I would call liberal progressivism. Okay. So there's more that we can talk about liberal progressivism uh, uh, and, and we will, but right now I simply want to talk about the evolving strategy. It's relevant uh, right now. And uh, it's it's kind of fascinating. So again, my, in your mind, constrain my thoughts to, or, or, or my, my podcast here to a liberal progressive ideology that can be applied to multiple nations throughout history. Yes, it can be applied to ours as well, but this has occurred again and again. And so the strategy points I'm making will sound extremely relevant uh, uh, to our time, and they are, but I'm also referring across history. So uh, within especially republics and democracies, we typically find that at some point, one of the political parties, whether you were in Rome or Greece or uh, the Ottoman Empire or wherever you were, one of the political parties eventually discovers that because we're allowing citizens to vote, eventually those citizens will learn that they can vote themselves a handout from the public trough, uh, in Alexander Tyler's words, and at that point, uh, the society is doomed to, to failure due to fiscal problems and other issues as well. Uh, one political party typically recognizes that. And when they do, I find that throughout history that there is formed what I would call a corrupt group of leadership. Now, we have some visible faces on that in today's Democrat Party. And again, 
Uh, the Democrat Party is not required to embrace liberal progressivism. There was a time, I think, that they were not very liberal progressive at all. And I think they still have some members who are not. But by and large, over the last five to 10 years, we've seen an extreme shift towards liberal progressivism, which is what you see in a lot of societies that are failing. So there's a, a, a corrupt leadership that, that is disconnected from the society. Once disconnected from that society, their regard for the people who remain in that society is gone. And so they have no compunction about uh, lying to, manipulating, doing whatever they need to, to raise themselves up and maintain positions of enormous power and privilege. And so we do see that across uh, uh, the parties today. And although we see many visible faces, what I which I think are certainly part of it, I think more importantly, behind most of those folks, there are, is, is almost certainly a group or or perhaps a, you might call it an oligarchy that are really calling the shots uh, uh, beyond uh, behind the face of the politicians. Uh, I'm not uh, removing responsibility from the politicians, but I would I would wager that there are some folks behind there that are paying attention to this. So anyway, uh, keep in mind that's what we've got at the top: uh, corrupt leadership. Now. The corrupt leadership uh, is very aware of the cycle that I'm talking about. Maybe not exactly in the way that I've painted it, but they understand that they have a new opportunity. And here's the opportunity. Because governments operate through a taxation scheme for the most part. Now, there are other ways to do a feudal and other ways to, to, to do things. Even those have taxes incorporated. In the end, we have to support whatever government structure we put in place, right? They're, they're going to take a some kind of tax or levy from the population in order to support that. Hypothetically, they're going to provide for the common defense and promote the general welfare. That's what we would like them to do. Uh, but, they, but they learn very quickly that they can do other things with the money. It's very interesting. They can tax you, the people, take your money and use your money to purchase the loyalty and votes of certain constituencies. That's pretty fascinating. What an interesting Ponzi scheme. Take someone else's money and, and offer it to others in the form of all kinds of handouts, free college, free medical uh, uh, care, uh, free food, free food stamps, welfare, all these programs that are designed to purchase eternal loyalty. Now, they're, of course, hidden behind a false flag, and we'll talk about false flags uh, in a moment. But remember that humans will allow all kinds of strange behaviors if you can hide it behind a false flag of nobility. Once you convince someone that your energy flow, that is the intent of what you are doing, if you convince them that it is a positive thing, they will let you do all kinds of things. And that's one of the things that politicians ma uh, master, right? The ability to convince you that what they're doing is for the greater good, and therefore you, you will not hold them to account for things that are that are uh, seem untoward. All right, so corrupt leadership on top realizes what they can do. They can purchase it. Uh, in addition uh, to that, uh, there almost is. There's almost always a growing dependent class. This is this. Uh, this is not an opportunity for me to criticize these these folks over much. That's not my point. I think really any human can fall into this dependent cl uh, class. We are designed to be. Um, how do I want to say it? We are designed by nature to uh, uh, minimize our energy output. Right. That. Animals do that. You'll, you'll see lions and bears sleep much of the day, minimizing their energy output and only using their energy for specific purposes. Well, in a sense, humans really do the same thing. We are designed to be, if you will, almost lazy by nature. So all humans can fall into this cycle unless taught 
uh, or, or shown a pattern that makes them more successful for not doing that. So this is not my point to say that folks who have become dependent are bad people or, have, or do not have the same potential. They may very well have the same potential as anyone else that you might know. But I think all humans can very quickly fall into this dependent trap if we're not careful. It's one of the reasons we have to shape our policies very carefully. Otherwise, we create dependence. Now, why is dependence upon the nation a problem? Well, it's a huge problem because those folks who typically become dependent are not contributing to the overall welfare of the nation. That means typically not co uh, contributing to, to the defense of the nation, to the wealth of the nation, to purchase defense and other pieces. They're not contributing to the soft power. Then uh, typically they're not contributing to their neighborhoods either. They have become dependent. And, and by being dependent, it means that their needs are being taken care of by other means and they don't have to expel, expend any energy to do that as well. So having a dependent class is not a good thing. Now, let's also acknowledge that a part of that dependent class is probably there no matter what, whether they want to be or not. I think a society that can handle a certain amount of a dependent class is probably a better society. There are certainly people who are wounded in, in whether it's in battle or, or in auto accidents or something, who, who still have something that, you know, still have, have opportunities of worth that, that they could contribute, and they become dependent simply because of, of uh, external uh, uh, forces beyond their control. I think a society should should help those people. I think we should support them and give them the opportunity to contribute in other ways. That's that's my opinion. That's a little bit of a liberal opinion. That, that's kind of what I meant about uh, a certain amount of liberalism is healthy. I want a society that can handle that. The problem is those people who are able-bodied who move into the dependent ranks. By the way, if you're a big fan of Teddy Roosevelt, which I am, you should read what he has to say about uh, being a dependent person uh, with the ability to, to choose. He's often said, it's no problem giving a person a hand up, but it is a huge problem when someone chooses to lie down. And that's kind of uh, where I'm coming from as well. Okay, so let's acknowledge that some people are down there no matter what, and uh, I think we should help them. But it's, it is the greater population or greater proportion of that dependent population that I'm concerned with. That is those who choose to be there because it's simply uh, easy. Now, once you're part of that corrupt leadership, you realize that the dependent uh, uh, folks are essentially guaranteed votes if you're the person offering the handout, right? The, why would they ever vote for someone who's saying, hey, look, you don't... Uh, you know, you're going to have to work. You're going to have to contribute. I'm not going to give you a handout. They're not going to vote for that person. They're going to vote for the person that says, hey, I'm going to give you more. And they can hide behind that false flag. Oh, you, you need more. You know, we'll give you just a little bit more. And it's never really very much, is it? But it's just enough to get by. And because humans have that propensity towards laziness, for many folks, that's sufficient. Why strive every day? Why get up early and go to work? And all those things are very difficult. Face all those pressures. Climb that ladder. Have ambition. Why do all that? When I can find a program that really gives me enough to have food and clothing and shelter and and, and medical care, if, if, if I have all that, uh, do I really need all the other stuff? Now, I might want it, but do I really need it when they're giving me just a, you know, just a few hundred dollars, just a thousand dollars here and there, just enough to get me by? Uh, that's that's a, a dangerous place to be. Now, uh, so, so let's keep that dependent population in mind. If you're a liberal progressive, you want to put in place policies that swell that dependent population every time that you can. Why do you want to do that? Because, as I said, they are guaranteed votes. Now, in, in my model, the Citizen Forge, we talked about what I would call the societally immature. Now, these are folks who I think are very capable and are not necessarily dependent, but this is an ever-growing group of people 
who, as we solve Citizen Forge, what I call shared adversity uh, items, as we solve those dilemmas, uh, they have fewer and fewer opportunities to work in group environments and to learn a formula of success that relies upon other people and their contribution. And so as they have those fewer opportunities, they fail to mature along the societal spectrum. Doesn't mean they're not intelligent, doesn't mean they're not well-educated, and it doesn't mean that they're not well-adjusted adults. It is along the societal uh, perspective that they have not matured, and thus they are not connected, and they move towards many, uh, much more selfish uh, behaviors. So that group is also swelling. So the dependent population is swelling uh, because of the corrupt leadership. They would want to put those, those pieces in place. And we have a group of societally immature folks who simply choose this um, because they cannot see the greater Leviathan. They can only see actions that, that, that uh, affect the individuals around them. In many cases, I think this group of folks has great empathy for the individuals around them. What they don't have empathy for is their nation, their society, and that's where the problem is. Uh, but for the corrupt leadership, this societally immature group is also ripe for the picking. They will uh, sign on to all of the programs that the corrupt leadership is putting in place to swell dependency. They will see that as serving the other uh, common man. And so you will see these pieces um, about, uh, uh, you know, we have to let everyone into the nation uh, because it is so wealthy and they are so destitute. So we must let everyone in and, and we must... Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, give all of these these handout programs to people who are uh, in, in what they would call need, whether it's selected uh, voluntarily or not. Now, again, that's great empathy. I, I don't, I don't, uh, uh, I don't think that empathy is a bad thing. I think empathy is a wonderful thing that humans have, but we have to balance it with our connection to society. So, two groups are there so far: the dependent group and the societally immature. There's one other group that becomes very important to this corrupt leadership, and that's what I would call special interest groups. There typically arise groups of folks who want to do certain things that are not necessarily in keeping with the uh, uh, healthiest portions of society. Uh, so, uh, there are folks who, for example, want to break down the marital uh, 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 nuclear family. Whether or not you agree with that, uh, that's what they want to do. And so perhaps you have uh, po polygamists or you have uh, pedophiles. And now I should be careful about that because although those are special, special interest groups, I don't want to uh, be completely pejorative about that. I think there are other special interest groups that are not so, uh, I don't know, criminal or evil-minded. Uh, but there are many folks who have special interests, and a corrupt leadership group knows that they can pander to that group as well. They can easily put in place programs that that that, that divert tax dollars to those folks, and and but in, in so doing, they grow their ranks again. And that is the point here, right? Within a, a democracy or a representative republic, they want to swell the ranks of those who are supporting them and get beyond what Mitt Romney termed that 47%. You may recall that uh, he, he famously quipped that during one of his presidential runs. And his point was that the nation was at the point where 47% of the population who would vote were already out of his reach as a Republican. Uh, and, and, and what he was essentially saying is they're already part of these, one of these three groups, special interests, societally immature, or the dependent. Um, and, and, by virtue of that, we'll never vote for someone who is saying things like, I need to uh, take those tax dollars and increase defense or increase infrastructure or uh, reduce tax burden upon companies to allow them to uh, uh, more free reign to hire and, and increase the economy. They, they don't want to hear that. They, those, those groups just want to hear, how do I get a free phone? How do I get a, uh, you know, a, a new home? How do I get free education uh, at the college level? How do I do all that? 
And since he wasn't offering that, his point was they were already lost to him. They weren't interested in the nation and policies that protect and preserve the nation would be of no use to them and would not garner their votes. So that's what we're talking about there. So this group here, we have, again, corrupt leadership on top. Uh, uh, lots of other folks now involved that we're trying to swell. And part of that is, is already naturally in play, right? So now let's talk about what this group, and again, you can relate it to uh, you know, modern times. And, and certainly, I think there's uh, a significant uh, uh, burden of proof that shows that we're there. But this has been done many times before. That's the point I want to make. I'm, gonna, I'm going to uh, highlight for you some strategies and some support structures. And this has been used throughout history. We're simply seeing it being used again. All right. So uh, the first part of the strategy that, that, that is utilized is called the big lie. Uh, now, uh, this was codified under uh, essentially under Hitler's propaganda machine and in Mein Kampf, right? Uh, this is where he figured out that you don't really have to tell the truth once you're in power, especially to those people who want to believe what you're telling them. You simply can tell a big lie. People will initially think, well, that, that's impossible. That's a huge lie. That, that can't possibly be true. But then all you have to do is keep telling the lie. You tell the lie, you tell a big lie, and you keep telling the lie, and eventually they will believe it. Here's a great example. Uh, the, the Russian uh, collusion hoax of 2016 and beyond. This uh, we now know, and most of us knew uh, already, but a, but a significant group did not uh, realize it and refused to understand it. But that was an enormous lie based upon political uh, a hit job material developed by the Clinton campaign. Now, it was entirely a lie, and there's a reason that $30 million plus and years of research showed no evidence of any collusion because it never was there. But think about what they did. They told an enormous lie that seemed ridiculous on its face. Who would believe that anyone would collude with the Russians to somehow uh, uh, influence an election which was almost uninfluenceable? In fact, the only thing that the Russians did during the time was buy some Facebook ads. This was their big uh, attempt to influence the election. And yet that story was, was, was uh, uh, magnified by a complicit media into an enormous lie. That's what propaganda is. It's a brilliant and dark strategy. And again, I use the Russian host example because it's so recent. But this was done under, under the Hitler regime. This was done in Russia. This was done in many other places. Tell the big lie. And especially those three groups of people, special interests, societally immature, and the dependent, they will all link into that because it reduces what I would call their cognitive dissonance. That is to say, it serves uh, the belief that what they are supporting is, is a good thing, even when deep down they know it's not. All right, so that's the big lie. You'll see that quite a bit. Next strategy is ridicule. Uh, this is also in many of the... Uh, uh, books for radicals. In fact, Saul Alinsky wrote Rules for Radicals in the 70s. And one of the things it says in there is ridicule your opponent. What that means is rather than simply arguing with them on policy positions, don't do that because you don't have a great policy position. In fact, you have no policy position as a liberal progressive. All you have is emotions. None of your policy position, excuse me, policy positions will make sense. Right. Uh, giving out all these free handouts doesn't make any sense. It creates dependence and erodes the nation. Shrinking the military makes very little sense unless you're uh, way uh, overblown there. Excuse me. So many of these policies don't make sense from the beginning and you can't win on them. So don't try to. Instead, simply ridicule your opponent. 
Again, using a, a recent example here, this is uh, all the things that were done to uh, President Trump, calling him, you know, the bad orange man and the clown and oh, racist and a homophobe and on and on. Just just make these labels up, even if there's no evidence. And if there's not evidence, what can you do? Well, you tell a big lie and you keep telling it. And so that is part of the strategy. And again, I'm using modern examples, but this was done under under Hitler and many other uh, of, uh, corrupt leaders of the past. They use the same thing: ridicule, don't argue uh, policy positions. Okay, uh, third uh, uh, strategy is projection. This is a very interesting one, and if you're uh, have know anything about uh, psychology, you will have heard this term projection uh, before. And the notion is, of course. You get yourself out of a lot of trouble by simply projecting the nefarious things that you're doing on other people. So I want you to imagine a situation. Here you are in a in a fourth grade classroom, and one of the kids has not prepared for the test, so he copies off of little Johnny. And and but before he sees people looking around, so before anyone can say anything, he raises his hands and he says, "Teacher, uh, Johnny is copying off of my work." Now. Simply by having put that out there, by having thrown that mud, right? He has projected a a uh, a behavior that is uh, something that the teacher can accept, and now has created doubt, right? So now the teacher must investigate poor little Johnny, who of course is is left on the defensive. Johnny simply can protest, no, no, I wasn't, I wasn't doing that. So that's projection. You project on the other party all of the things uh, that you are actually doing. Here's another great example in modern times. So in 2020, we had the rise of, of COVID-19, and, the, and then shortly thereafter, the rise of civil unrest, or what was called civil unrest. Now, COVID-19 is an interesting issue in itself. I won't discuss it in depth here. Uh, let's assume for a moment that it was not intentionally released and, and targeted. Let's just say that it was the rise of another uh, a virus, which happens to humanity throughout history. And we have rise of virus all the time, Spanish flu, bird flu, avian flu, uh, on and on, black plague. You know, we've always had these things in our lives, and we'll just call COVID-19 another one of those for the moment. <clears throat> Whether or not by intent or simply by happenstance, what did the liberal progressive party of today do? Well, they utilized that uh, uh, to create fear and control. Right. They, they deliberately shifted from projecting or, or, or counting uh, deaths from from the virus to counting number of cases. And what are the number of cases always going to do when it comes to a virus? Well, the number of cases will always increase uh, for, a, for a couple of reasons. Number one, that's what the virus is doing by going through the herd, so to speak. And number two, because if you're testing more, you'll always get more cases. And so by by switching from the number of deaths, which is what you should was the only thing you should ever worry yourself about with a virus, they worried about. Uh, the number of cases. And in so doing, they, they push panic and, and, and uh, 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 fear in the population, and that leads them uh, to have more control. Now, they did that very deliberately as a strategy because eventually they would use that to change the voting rules in, in uh, 2020. And they did that deliberately so that they could then uh, essentially cheat the election by creating a huge swath of mail-in votes that could be manipulated uh, within the voting uh, uh, pieces rather than than actually having people in voting booths. Very interesting strategy. Uh, very dark and very evil, but but interesting. Uh, in addition to that, soon as soon as the COVID began to tail off, uh, now this I don't think was intentional, but there was a an event. If you may recall, uh, there was a police officer and a video uh, that was chipped out very deliberately so that uh, we saw the violence. And there's no question in my mind that, it, that the 
the police officer appeared to be acting uh, in an irresponsible way. Now, there was a death in that situation, and we were told that it was a result of the police officer, which may be true. I, I can't try that case right now. It's, it's still in, in court. It's not my job to do that. Although I will say that um, the the video, the full video, was never shown, and it was never shown intentionally because it turns out there are a lot of other factors in play. Uh, again, I'll let you do your own research on that, but I would do that. I would seek the truth, much as I said in my second video, always seek the truth of that. Again, I'm not telling you what your opinion should should be on that <clears throat> make up your own mind but definitely seek all the information and make sure you're not being manipulated and, and and pieces are not being omitted to shape your opinion all right so we had those two pieces the COVID piece and 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 this uh, uh this this narrative of uh civil unrest so they use that uh, video a single video and the interesting thing is the the reaction throughout the nation was pretty universal when we saw, when all of us saw that video, none of us liked what we saw and we wanted an investigation done and we wanted justice done. So if the investigation proved that that was, that, that, that was a racist uh, behavior on the, on the part of the police officer, not just a policing behavior, but a racist behavior, uh, either way, we wanted it punished. We, we don't want our police officers wielding their power uh, uh, unjustly. Um, and so we all wanted that as a nation. Everybody in the nation wanted that. I didn't know anyone that did not, and it was reported that way. Yet despite that enormous universal support for justice, it was used as a strategy to then uh, hypothetically create the, the, the uh, impetus, if you will, for civil unrest, which made no sense when everyone already agreed that it, that it wasn't a good act. But it didn't have to make sense, right? They told a big lie. Then they created unrest and then they supported the unrest with money. They sent resources, they sent weapons, they sent all these pieces so that there would be riots within the city. They wanted to create more fear and more unrest. And then what did they do? Let me pause for a moment as I switch recordings. And resuming. So now we have uh, these two events that, 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 uh, were created, right? So we had the COVID uh, uh, rise. Um, the Liberal Progressive Party at the time, the Democrat Party, deliberately inflated that, uh, uh, deliberately focused on, again, cases. Uh, and then, of course, we had the, uh, uh, the shutdown opportunities, uh, which had never been done before in the history of our, of our country when, when we shut down the nation. And that was deliberate as well. Why? Because they, they wanted to harm the economy in an election year. And so they essentially attacked 50 million families to put them out of business, uh, uh, to destroy them in order to create more fear and a sense of discomfort within the, the, the nation. Now, can you see, <clears throat> again, how you would have to be totally disconnected from your society and the people around you to initiate a strategy designed to hurt that many people? I mean, think about the number of people who committed suicide or harmed their families, the number of children who can't go uh, to, to schools and, and all those pieces, their, their, their futures are ruined based on this strategy to gain, to gain control. That's what I want to point out to you, <coughs> pardon me, is that the liberal progressivism strategy doesn't take into account what you might take into account if you felt connected to the society. You would never utilize a strategy like that because you would never harm someone in your own society that way. But you would do that to an enemy, and that's how a liberal progressive sees their nation. It is no longer their nation. It is a competitor. They have a new, if you will, uh, uh, nation. All right, so that's COVID and then the, the, the kickoff of this false uh, uh, civil rights piece. And, and then they told another big lie. They told the lie 
that uh, uh, you know, African-Americans are being shot by the police at an alarming rate uh, and that uh, there's an enormous racism within our society. Now, there certainly is racism. I, I, there's racism on all sides of the coin, as we've talked about before. I don't dispute that, and I always fight against I hope you do as well. But there certainly is not systemic racism. In fact, on the world stage and throughout history, the U.S. is probably the least racist nation ever. Doesn't mean that that slavery didn't occur. It certainly did. But imagine a nation that could learn from that and change its behavior while maintaining its principles and say, we're not going to do this anymore. This, this isn't consistent with all men and women created equal. That's an amazing thing. And then we had the, the civil rights uh, movements under Dr. Martin Luther King, which were brilliant. They were peaceful. They highlighted to people who were thinking you know, what was going on. They said, look, look at how you're treating these people. Look at this. And, and, and through those protests, people said, you know, you're absolutely right. That was a brilliant way to do it. Uh, uh, my opinion, uh, uh, that's the height of what I would call peaceful protest. That's the way it should be done. And we live in a wonderful nation that allows that. But these violent protests had nothing to do with this incident. So of course, they were pre-planned. They were designed to attack businesses and people. And all of that was done very deliberately. Really, uh, really hideous strategy. Uh, almost as hideous as the COVID strategy. So these two pieces are in play. And then what happens during the election? It was predictable. They would project that behavior upon the Republican uh, candidate. They essentially said, look, he did a terrible a terrible job with COVID. Look, he crushed the economy. Look, uh, look at all the racism and, and, and the, and the uh, separation between the people. And yet who had created all of that? Who crushed the economy? Who created this artificial separation between races? Who did all that? Well, of course, it was the Liberal Progressive Party. They did it intentionally. They did it deliberately. And yet, how was it hidden? Well, they had a complicit media. We'll talk about that. But do you see how they projected it instantly? Their bad behavior, they projected upon the enemy. And the same with the Russian collusion. It, it is noted that that uh, uh, when uh, people are, are in trouble, like the, the Hillary Clinton campaign with their email scandal, turn around and project bad behavior on the others. You distract the, the people who are willing to listen to that, who don't seek the truth. So projection, very important uh, strategy. And the last we've already talked a little bit about, but let's highlight it again. This is the notion of false flag. So uh, I've, as I said, I've kind of highlighted this, but it bears a little bit more elaboration. So let's do that uh, quickly. So humans interpret the behaviors of the people around them through a complicated lens, right? It's, it's both interpersonal and societal. And based upon what we see, we make decisions about selfless and selfish behaviors, thus evil and good behavior. So I'm going to give you another example uh, that I've used in my book, and, and, and if you've read it, but here it is. I want you to imagine that I show you some video footage of a young woman dressed in a trench coat. She goes into a local convenience store. And on the footage, we see her looking around furtively, and she quickly grabs all kinds of food off the some some uh, a, you know bag of, of of chips and some candy and whatever she can grab some drinks and she's stuffing it inside her her uh, coat and then she closes up her coat looks around and sneaks out of the store. Now I pause the video and I ask you the the, the person who's observing, what do you think of this behavior? What's happening here? I'm not trying to trick you. Just what what happened? Well, clearly this woman went in, shoplifted, took a lot of stuff, and left the store. She tried to do it secretly. How do we judge that behavior? 
Well, clearly uh, that's an evil behavior. We call that theft. I mean, I mean, who's going to pay for that? The store owner who has a legitimate business will now be forced to pay for that. She got away with it. Your prices will go up. You get the idea. Uh, we see that as a selfish act. She was taking something from someone else uh, to feed her own uh, wants. Okay, so that's important. Think about that. Taking energy from somebody else to feed her own wants. We perceive that as a selfish and evil act. Now I'm gonna I'm going to uh, uh, keep the video paused, but I'm gonna tell you something about this young lady. I'm gonna tell you that several months ago, uh, unfortunately for her, her husband uh, passed away, and uh, she uh, uh, you know had always depended upon him. Not all situations do that, by the way, but in my situation, that's what happened. Uh, she uh, could not get a job. She attempted to. She uh, has a, several uh, uh, kids who are hers. She was then uh, couldn't pay the rent and, and was evicted from her home. And now she's been living, you know, in an abandoned car under a bridge trying to feed these kids. And so she came in today with no money. Her kids are starving and uh, she took the food to go feed her kids. So now that I've told you that, what do you think about her act? Well, now your perception has changed. The reality is the act is exactly the same, isn't it? She still took food from the store owner, but now you perceive that she took that food to feed the needs, not the wants, but the needs of another to handle responsibility. That doesn't mean that you'll necessarily see her as, as having committed a good act, but where you see her act in terms of evil has moved from very evil all the way probably to close to neutral, right? So, so how energy flows changes how you perceive and act. And humans can use that by planting a false flag. I plant a flag of nobility, and then I do whatever I want underneath that, and it will change your perception of the act. So, for example, if I told you, and I've used this example before, uh, let's use uh, illegal immigration. If I say to you as a nation, hey, how can you not have empathy for those millions of people across the border who are starving, dirty, uh, under, they're in danger, they're out in the wilderness? How can you not let them in here where we are so wealthy? It's a powerful emotional argument. Humans are programmed to have a certain amount of empathy for other people in our species, especially if we're not at war with them, right? So we have empathy immediately for these people. And it's understandable that if you're not thinking broad, more broadly about the Leviathan, about being connected to it, you could easily say, you're absolutely right. How, how could I make any other decision? And so that's how that's done. You plant that false flag. When the reality, why are those corrupt leaders bringing those people in? Well, we already know. We know where they're bringing them in to create an enormous dependence, uh, a, a swelling of the dependence class who will then depend upon them for a votes uh, or, or the, who will then vote for the liberal progressive party uh, for decades and decades to come. Right. So see how their act is actually very evil, but they hide it behind a false flag. And we see this again and again. And we see this even in the terminology that they use for their programs. Again, I don't know what your uh, what your stance is on something like abortion. Have your own stance. It's not my job to to change your mind. Just yet, I, I will give you some arguments on it. But if you support it, you support it. But think about how it's labeled. It's labeled as women's health issues, and that's how it's sold. This is a woman's health issue. Now, I, I agree. In, in some cases, it is. Uh, in a very few cases, it is. No, no there's no question that uh, you know an infant could be a true threat to the mother. I get that. And there are also instances of rape in those pieces where, where a, a child is forced upon somebody. Uh, I am not a perfect hardliner uh, uh, pro, uh, pro-lifer. I'm pretty strongly pro-life, but I recognize that there are some situations that, that mitigate uh, uh, the circumstances. But overall, uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of, of, of life. 
But do you see how they sell it, right? And think about the organization that, that does many of these abortions, Planned Parenthood. Very interesting. Listen to the title, Planned Parenthood. That sounds incredibly noble, doesn't it? Uh, yes, of course I want to plan for parenthood. Who, who doesn't want to? I think that's very responsible. And yet, what is it really? It's really an organization that, that's there to, to uh, you know, a, a abort babies in, in large part, isn't it? Fascinating how we use this. So, so pay attention to the, you know, the program names. Those are often false flags uh, that, that are supposed to look good. Uh, there are many others, the Green New Deal, welfare, on and on. All these have very noble titles, but be very careful about what they actually do. Right? How about the notion of gun control? It sounds like it's perfect. Who, who doesn't want gun control? I want guns to be control. I want the. Uh, it's not gun control, is it? It's gun confiscation. It's it's the end of gun rights altogether. It's, it's the elimination of gun rights. But the, but by calling it gun control, it sounds very noble, doesn't it? So again, false flag. Uh, be very wary of those. So again, in the in the the COVID and and a rioting situation that occurred in the early part of 2020. Uh, all of that, all, you saw everything in play. You saw the big lies. You saw the ridicule, right? You saw the projection and you saw the false flags planted. Uh, an amazing a use of all four pieces of strategy, all for one purpose, to regain control of the White House. Pretty fascinating. And you're going to see a lot more of that as, if, if the White House is, is uh, fully uh, uh, contained by the Liberal Progressive Party. It has destroyed every empire and nation uh, that it's attacked. And we're in those same throws. So so very interesting. Keep, keep in mind on those pieces. Now, uh, supporting structure. What do you need to make sure that the big lie, the ridicule projection, the false flags all work? There are a few things that you need. Number one, you really need control of the media. And again, I refer back to Hitler, uh, had perfect control of the media and, and, and put Gobler in charge of the propaganda wing. And that's what they use. They use propaganda. Radio at the time was very big, but we use radio and TV now. We used to have a fairly free and open, uh, mostly free and open information exchange within our uh, media, but no longer the case, is it? It's documented that over 92% of, of media coverage of President Trump, and again, I'm not a Trump apologist. I'm not, I'm not an enormous Trump fan. I'm a, I am a huge fan of his policies, which were very supportive of the Leviathan, but uh, I'm not here to, to, to cheer or root, uh, uh, but I am here to be objective about it. So think about that, 92% plus all against the president. Why? Well, because he was attacking all those big lies and ridicule and projection. He was attacking the dependency, wasn't he? He was raising up the economy of all people. Welfare uh, 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 recipients were going down, food stamps going down, unemployment going down. Right? All of that was happening under a powerful economy that was capitalistic in nature. That could not be allowed. It absolutely creates enormous contrast to the liberal progressive party, which wants control and more dependency. And so they used all of these strategies to attack, regain control by fooling the population that they could and essentially by cheating. And they did all of that in, in a sort of a brilliant strategy using these pieces. And they used the media to cover all of that. And the media obediently trotted out the big lies, the ridicule, the projection and the false flags. Um, other pieces that work, uh, you've heard uh, uh, Rahm Emanuel, another big liberal progressive leader in, in this current era say, never let a crisis go to waste. Uh, again, that may have been both the COVID and uh, the the uh, attack scenario that that prompted these the uh, rioting, or they could have been intentional. So you have to think about: is it never let a crisis go to waste, or is it also if you don't have a crisis, create one? And that's possible as well, creating a crisis. 
And finally, uh, we also learned this in history on, under the Hitler piece and other uh, nations, uh, control the youth, indoctrinate them through education. Uh, it has often been written in many of these documents, uh, Rules for Radicals, uh, Mein Kampf, and others, uh, that it takes about 30 years to take over a nation. You start by controlling the youth, then you take over the media. Those support structures then allow you to do your strategy. The big lies, the ridicule, the projection, the false flag. It allows you to expand the dependency under a false flag. It allows you to expand the societally immature, uh, pander to the special interests, tax the population all to pay for it, and you have never-ending control. Pretty interesting uh, strategy. Um, let's take a look at some more false flag pieces here. Let's think about this. Uh, again, this is 2020 relevant, so I won't, uh, won't go beyond too much, but think about this. One of the actions that the liberal progressive parties uh, had talked about was uh, packing the Supreme Court to ensure uh, that they get activist judges. Uh, I may not be using that term exactly the way you think of it. How about um, non-constitutionalist judges? Uh, living document judges is probably the better way to say it because technically you could have a constitutionalist who was also an activist, but for the constitutionalist side. So we'll use the term more precisely. Um, but the false flag is, hey, more justices are necessary for political parity. Notice they trotted out with this has to be done. Even though it's a horrible action that that, 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 that essentially destroys uh, the, the normal parity that we would have, a nine-person court that we've had for 150-plus years, you would destroy that. That doesn't matter if you can paint a false flag on it. Uh, very interesting. They also propose a statehood for Puerto Rico and Washington, D.C. Now, why would they do that? Well, their false flag is, hey, these populations are disenfranchised. But, of course, that's not really true at all. Puerto Rico, in fact, did not want statehood, and Washington, D.C. is prohibited by the Constitution from being a state. So why would they want that? Why would they plant that false flag? Well, because they know that both of those happen to be liberal progressive strongholds, and they would gain four permanent senatorial members to throw off the balance of the, of the, of the, of the Senate. Hmm. Interesting. How about, here's another one, uh, uh, eliminating the Electoral College. The false flag, hey, it should be by popular vote. It's just not fair. But if you do any uh, uh, look at history, you'll realize that the Electoral College was really quite brilliant. It didn't balance it amongst the individuals. It balanced it among population centers, and it allowed uh, the, the, those, those locations that were engaged in things like uh, manufacturing or agriculture to have a reasonable vote and not be controlled by two or three incredibly densely populated city areas who would inevitably vote entirely based on dependency because that's what cities often provide is, is a dependency base. So really quite a brilliant strategy, the, eliminal, the Electoral College, and thus eliminating it would be horrible, but they could hide behind that, hey, it's just not fair. Every vote should be, uh, you know, we should just do it on the popular vote. Aren't we a democracy? Well, technically, no, we're not. We're a representative democracy or, or a uh, republic. Interesting. Uh, so how about eliminating uh, free speech through the controlled media? So lately in the 2020s, we've seen the rise of the media giants, and they are uh, they were part of that 92%, and they have uh, essentially destroyed free speech, right? They throttle who they want. Uh, they, they promote who they want. They change search engines. Uh, they cut off Twitter accounts. It's amazing that these companies, which, of course, are led by liberal progressive leaders, will, would do this. So what's the false flag there? Well, we simply say, hey, any kind of disagreement of this nature is hate speech. We, we label it, we ridicule it, we call it hate speech. Uh, and, and, uh, and by doing so, we plant a false flag and explain to you why we're, we are allowing the elimination of free speech. So you're getting the idea here. All of this is uh, you, you have to pay attention to what is being said. Look for those false flags. When someone uh, is proposing something that appears to be noble, 
pay extra attention. That's not to say that noble things can't happen. I think there are many organizations that actually are uh, quite noble. I think many of our religious organizations, not all, but many of them really do uh, are trying to do good work. You know, uh, food drives and, and soup drives, and, and uh, especially where where energy and resources are flowing from one person to another rather than uh, from a government to another. Those are, I think, are important uh, as well. Uh, so keep in mind that that we certainly can have noble enterprises out there. But when it comes to government and leadership in particular, you should be a very jaundiced in your view. You should be very skeptical in what you see out there and look for the truth. Follow the money. Use Occam's razor, all the pieces that we talked about uh, in the second Seaforge uh, podcast, right? Those, those pieces are in play. Okay, so I think that's a pretty good wrap on, on talking about liberal progressive strategy for now. We've kind of showed you, and again, I did use some modern examples because I think most of you will resonate with those, whether you agree or disagree. They're examples that we all understand uh, now. Uh, um, and because they're so they're so relevant, I referred a little bit back to history. There's a lot of interesting reading to do on that. Uh, if you're interested, in it, it's fascinating to see all of these uh, strategies being executed throughout time. It is not just an American strategy. It is not just a Democrat Party strategy. It is a world strategy. Liberal progressivism increases in all of these nations, and it it is a result of the end of the Citizen Forge, and it results in the ends of nations. Very very interesting. All right, so that wraps up this episode of the Citizen Forge. Please remember that the goal of the Citizen Forge project is to continue an information and thought campaign. I try to present you with some theories and ideas. I try to back it up where I can. That's my intent. You can think about it. Think about, uh, to try to dig to the truth. Try to dig to the truth of what I'm saying as well. Am, am I right or wrong? Am, am I trying to influence you? Well, certainly I'm trying to influence you in some ways, but is it to your detriment or to your benefit? So consider that as well. Uh, finally, please be sure to check out my website, thecitizenfordproject.com. There you can purchase my book, recently endorsed by Mr. Bill O'Reilly himself. And you can also look for me uh, uh, for a speaking event. You can book me. Uh, in particular, my most popular is the Citizen Forge seminar. I've also given it in webinar formats, uh, given the COVID nonsense or the COVID uh, debacle. Uh, that is a particularly popular one. It can run anywhere from 45 minutes up to two hours, including questions and answer periods. Generally, really engages the audience. These these topics tend to create a lot of thought and a lot of uh, passion as well. Uh, again, that seminar covers ground on leadership, citizenship, human nature, good and evil, as we discussed in this podcast, selflessness versus selfishness, all those pieces, the, the challenges that face maturing nations, all are in play within that seminar. Really interesting. I think you'd like it. Um, I also do talks on leadership, the nature of truth, citizenship, and many other topics. So if you're interested in those, uh, please contact me via my website. I'm happy to talk to you about that. And finally, if you're of a mind and you uh, support what I'm trying to do in terms of raise the thoughts of this uh, to, to people thinking about the effects of liberal progressives or where the nation's going. If you want to do that, uh, you can certainly uh, uh, donate to my GoFundMe. And there's a link for that on my Citizen Forge page. All right. And thanks again, folks. And we will see you next time on the Citizen Forge podcast. <laughs>